Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Kicking Cancer Into Touch. My name is Kieran Bracken and this story is about my little sister, Louise Bracken-Smith, who was diagnosed with cervical cancer uh, some time ago. And um, this is just recording her journey of treating the cancer. Unfortunately, she was in remission and then the cancer came back. And this really is just documenting the highs and lows of her journey in treating her cancer. So Louise, it's been a while since our last podcast and I noticed that you've got uh, you've got quite a nice new barnet on your head. Yeah, this is this is my new wig. This is actually temple hair and the ladies in India who can grow their hair to the floor donate it to the temples and this amazing salon uh, Lucinda Ellery buys it from them and um, make lots of people um, wigs out of real hair. Well, I quite like I I mean I know that's like a few thousand pounds worth because I quite like the other one with the little hat. The only thing is, though, that didn't really work when you were go, you know, uh, settling your boy into school and there was like an evening meal. You couldn't really go with a hat on. So, but you had problems with this very expensive wig, didn't you? Because either you went swimming with it or, or it didn't. You didn't quite wear it properly. Yeah, I got it in the summer, and um, then we had the heat waves. We had two heat waves, and I just it lasted a week. Um, I went in the sea. I had drawn on some eyebrows. I had put some fake eyelashes on and I had the wig on and the whole thing wiped off when I went into the sea. So it was quite funny. Yeah, so I, t- so I took it off and then, you know, I followed the guidelines, put it on the model, uh, blow dry it, you know, all the things that I'm really not really used to doing, spending much time on self-admin. So, you know, here I am drying the drying the wig and leave it there and it just looks terrible and I keep putting it on and everyone's like, just looks awful um so months go by and I'm wearing the hat wig and um and then I managed to squeeze an appointment in before the the dinner that you've referred to and I went to the salon and I was like what you know what's wrong with it what's wrong with me and she just laughed at me and said I was putting on back to front (laughs) such an idiot you know what just for the the listeners and viewers it would be nice to see what your wig looked like on me i have got a couple of pictures so hopefully this will come up on the screen so here's a couple of pictures of me i mean i i mean i quite suit that <laughs> but listen when this is all finally gone which is probably not too long then um i might i might borrow one of your one of your wigs when you're when you're safe and well louise anytime but let's do you know last time there was obviously we were uh, all on tender hooks because we were waiting to see the news of your latest scan. So if you want to just inform everyone where you're at with that. Yeah, I had a CT scan and um, yeah, as you say, we were on tender hooks waiting to get the results of that. And I had a scheduled appointment with the um, Jersey oncologist at uh, three o'clock in the afternoon and um, myself, uh, my husband and Harvey, my eldest were walking back to the house and the phone went um, sort of 15 minutes before I was due to have the call and it was the oncologist. And um, she started the call like saying, it's all clear. So I was like, it all clear, what's all clear, what, like no cancer? She said, yeah, yeah, the, the, the scan's all clear. So I was about to start skipping down the street. And then she said, oh, what I mean is, which is quite different, um, is that there's no new growth. Oh, okay. So no, no new growth, not quite all clear, but no new growth, growth also very good. Um, and then I said, well, what about, what about the tumours? Have they shrunk? And uh, she said, yeah, 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 they've shrunk. I was like, oh, amazing. You know, how, by how much? She was like, oh, oh, I don't know. I don't know that. I don't, I don't know how much they've shrunk. So this conversation sort of 
was I found very confusing. And what what she explained was that the CT scan really was just to determine from their purposes whether they would continue with the um, treatment plan, which is two more rounds of the same chemo and the same dose. So my level of questioning obviously just wasn't, you know, I wasn't getting anywhere. And she said what what really they needed to do was to wait another week so that they could compare the CT results to my previous scans in London and the Jersey General Hospital speak to the Marsden every Tuesday and talk about all their cancer patients. So I would be one of those. So I sort of left that call feeling really happy that things weren't bad, but was slightly confused with with what the news was. So I did ask her for a copy of the scan and and the report, which she then sent through to me. So I read the report and it was obviously the medical, in medical terminology, and I think you read it as well. I had to read it three or four times and look up some of the words and it was sort of saying to me that there was there was no no evidence of cancer. So I happened to be in London that next day seeing my functional medicinal doctor and I said what what did you think of the scan what what did what did you think it said and she said oh yeah it's it's amazing you've um it doesn't seem that they can see any evidence of of disease so I was like oh this is this is amazing this that's what I thought it said and she said but however you know there is a big caveat you need to have a proper PET scan PET scan so that they can you know really see what is or isn't there wasn't quite sure why I'd had a CT scan given that I hadn't had a CT scan before that I should have had a PET scan anyway I left the meeting pretty pretty happy and uh yeah I think I think I'm sitting in yeah amazing news with with that amazing news I guess the highs and lows of being a cancer patient is you're 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 on a high you're on a pedestal so I read it and it was just so I mean I, I'm I don't understand medical speak but it was like no cancer here no cancer there that it's just like amazing news and we were like oh my god she's cured but obviously we can't get too ahead of ourselves but then you see you know you're in you're actually in your process of having your chemotherapy and immune therapy and I guess one hiccup this week has been that you've not been able to receive um, your fourth uh, round of of chemo which now affected you going on holiday which is we want to talk this podcast about the family dynamic and how hard that's been but I just wanted to you know so so you've gone from the, the high of you know the report saying great news no new cancer in fact no cancer at all to now not being able to get, have chemo because your hemoglobin isn't right in your red blood cells. And so now you can't have that treatment, you can't go on holiday, and everything's upside down again. So it feels just like what life is like. You know, you get such a high, and then you just end up with another low, and then you just get up again in another high. And it, it must be hard. So just tell us about where you're at with that. Yeah, I had my appointment um with the oncologist and basically what happens is you have bloods on the on one day and then you have your treatment the next day if your bloods are all okay and obviously I've had four rounds of my bloods being okay and being able to tolerate the treatment and this time I had persuaded them because I was going over for vitamin c and mistletoe therapy that they could do the bloods on the day and give me the treatment and when I went for my appointment with the oncologist, we talked about the scan results. And, and just on that, actually, you know, I said, I, I do plan to cure this. I do plan for it to be, go- to be gone. And she said, you know, we don't use the word cure. It's not a word we use in, in the medical profession. So that was quite interesting. Um, but, you know, I went and sat in my chair and got all ready for the day. And they came up and they closed the curtains around me, which is always a bad sign. And said, unfortunately, your hemoglobin's too low. You're at 7.4. It needs to be eight before we can do treatment. And I just cried. I was like, please do it. Can't you just do it? And she said, no, look, it's dangerous. And you could have a bleed on the brain that we wouldn't be able to stop. There are so many, so many reasons why we can't give you the treatment. So 
I literally just sat and cried and cried. And then they said, well, what we can do is give you a blood transfusion, which will help boost the hemoglobin levels. So before I knew it, I was spending the day in there having a blood transfusion, which obviously some amazing donor has has given uh, to the Jersey Hospital. Thank you to you, whoever you are. And uh, yeah, th- so I left there on the th- on Thursday um, and they said, right, well, I'll tell you what, look, take it easy this weekend. That's all you can do to try and get your haemoglobin back up and then come in on Monday and we will test your blood again with a view to proceeding with, with the treatment. So interestingly, in the background, this like affects everything. I was in the middle of a fast, a fast mimicking diet, which you're meant to do before chemo. So I obviously stopped that on the Thursday. And then I was sort of in a, in a bit of a quandary about whether I start the fast again in advance for the Monday treatment, um, which which I just decided not to do because I thought it was a bit of a long shot that they would be able to proceed on Monday. And I'm hopeful that it will be able to take part take place on Friday. Um, my haemoglobin had gone up to 7.6 on Monday. And yeah, I'm hopeful that it will it will go up by Friday. But as I said to you before, there's always a silver lining, isn't there? Um, I was able to go on Monday to my good friend, um, Christelle Marshmantown's funeral. I mean, what was that like for you going there? Were you thinking about yourself, about her? What's your mindset like? I know you've been so positive, um, you know, all these podcasts. So what was it like for you going to that funeral over the weeks? Well, I was, I'm just in shock, really, that she's passed away and I just... You know, her husband sent me the saddest message. He just said, look, she's out of pain now, but we're all left with it. It's just heartbreaking for him and the children, the three children, you know, coming to terms with something so sad. And her message to me was, I think I've, I think I've made peace with this. But I just ultimately feel that she was let down, let down by the system. Um, you know, she got to this book, How to Starve Cancer, you know, very late in her journey. And I just feel, you know, if, if, if the doctors are all telling you it's terminal and that you know there is no hope and you've you know haven't got time on your side, then you believe that, don't you? You've, I just feel that she was let down because you kind of feel that there should never be this diagnosis. It's terminal. You you think it should be you know because there's always hope, and I, I guess you're always learning all the time. And the big question, and and, and this podcast isn't necessarily about criticizing you know the doctors and and the nurses and everything they do, but there does seem to be a disconnect with how to treat cancer and a bit of lack of knowledge uh, from the patient side and you know the alternative treatments now I know you're doing this alternative treatment but that's almost getting in the way of your current treatment isn't it Louise because I guess you're flying to England you're doing all this stuff and and your maybe your oncologist thinks that the reason why your uh, hemoglobin is low is because you're doing this other stuff but I guess if they don't believe in what you're doing, it then becomes quite hard for you to have a good relationship with your current doctor, doesn't it? Yeah, it's really stressful. And, you know, I'm in a fortunate position where I've got a big family and I've got a lot of support. Um, God only knows what it's like for those on their own. But, um, you know, as I am into the alternative therapies and treatments, I I did uh, manage to get an appointment with a doctor who does biofield method. And I managed to get an appointment with him on Friday, the Friday night, because where I am unusual is that I've got very, very high dangerous toxic levels of ferritin and very low haemoglobin which doesn't really make sense it's saying I've got lots of iron but I haven't got red blood cells with enough oxygen in them to you know I'm anemic basically so I went to this um, alternative 
doctor and you know you put some headphones on and it's all vibrational work and I can't really explain it but they it, it scans the body and it goes into the DNA of the body and quite quickly he was able to be able to focus on my spleen and say he feels that that has been damaged somewhere along the line obviously when I look back I did have a crash broke ribs on my spleen side maybe it was damaged uh, maybe not. So, you know, I left that meeting with, you know, he's, he sort of explained to me that the iron can't attach to the oxygen and that I'm having all this oxygen therapy and it was quite dangerous to keep oxygenating my body when actually I could over-oxygenate it and just, he gave me advice that actually don't do the oxygen therapy until my bloods are back in harmony. So, you know, I, I kind of believe him and, and, and we'll take that advice. But that obviously prompted me then to email my oncologist to say, I didn't dare tell her where I'd got this information from because I just didn't think that'd be well received. So I said, could it be possible that my spleen is not binding my iron levels with my oxygen? You know, as if I'm a doctor, as if, you know, how would I know that? But um, I bet she loves you. <laughs> so the response was literally, you're taking all these other medication that, that could be causing these side effects, you know, which is just infuriating. You know, I know these three drugs that I'm getting from Care Oncology have got absolutely nothing to do with my ferritin levels. I had a high ferritin level before I started them. And I know they've got absolutely nothing to do with the low hemoglobin levels because I had low hemoglobin the last time I had um, treatment. So it's infuriating. And I've said that to her, this is infuriating. It's really disappointing that you're not on board with my integrative approach. And she said, yes, 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 I am on board with it. It's just the timing of it. I wish you were doing it when the, when the chemotherapy was finished. When all the evidence shows, you know, it's most effective when you do it while you're having the chemotherapy. So it's just really disappointing. And yeah, I, I mean, I am where I am. And yeah, I, I don't think they like me very much. That's one way of putting it. But but on the treatment, though, is chemotherapy not a cumulative effect? I mean, is this quite a dangerous time? Like, how long can you wait before you have four? And if you can't have four, is there a problem? We're on five of six. So there's two more. Um, you know, I almost feel it's like finishing a course of antibiotics now. You know, I've sort of, you know, the pain's gone and, you know, maybe the scans have showed that, but I've obviously just got to finish the treatment. But I am suffering from the cumulative effects. I have now got um, neuropathy. Another thing that obviously they pointed out in the list of side effects, but it's very hard to focus on the list of side effects when they read them out to you and there's 30 pages of them and you don't know which ones will and won't be relevant. But yeah, I've got numbness in three fingers, which seems to be permanent and could could be permanent. And and again, it's disappointing that, you know, they don't give you the ice mitts, which, which can prevent this. Um, I was fortunate enough to meet a lady in the oxygen tank who gave me her mitts. I knew nothing about this. I knew nothing about putting these mitts on your hands and your feet while you're having one of the chemotherapy drugs and it can stop the da damage to the nerve endings in your hands. But, you know, you know, the hospital know all about it, but they don't, they don't recommend it. They don't mention it. So there was no advice to have that. And yet, it, it, if you'd have known from the start, you, you might have had feeling in your fingers. Well, I might, I might have prevented it if I'd have known how to prevent it. You know, it might be in the small print somewhere, but I just kind of think that it should be offered. Like the cold cap is offered to people, which is what people wear on their head which is the same sort of principle. It um, stops the nerve endings getting damaged and, and it, you can retain your hair for longer. So quite a few people do that and that's offered, but I just really don't know why these hands hands and feet mitts aren't on offer. Yeah, that's a shame. But you think by Friday, then you should be okay. And I mean, one of the, one of the things is how the treatment can get in, in the way of everyday life. And I want to focus for this podcast on the, on the family dynamic, but you had booked a sort of family holiday, which have delayed it. And I guess it's sort of your utopia, isn't it? And, and, and that's been taken away from you possibly where 
you think you're going to the Maldives with a family where, family where all you can, you can just be together and just, you know, you've had your treatment, hopefully everything's working and you can almost celebrate. And then that's taken away from you because now you're, you know, you've had this delay in treatment. Yeah, I think we were all looking forward to just having a bit of, bit of a break from the relentlessness of just treatment and everything that goes with it. And the holiday, yeah, was for something for everyone to look forward to. Originally, I was originally going to just go for the second week. And then we thought, right, well, I've kind of been all right after the, once the chemo kicks in, I might as well feel rubbish on a sandy beach somewhere than, than sitting at home. But um, this delay means that if I do have the treatment on Friday, that, yeah, I probably potentially couldn't travel because the next chemo, which would be in three weeks time, would be mid-holiday. And then I, I did mention this to the oncologist. I was like, please, please give me the treatment. I want to go on holiday, which, you know, sounds like, sounds very spoiled, doesn't it? And, and they were sort of saying, you shouldn't be going on holiday. And is there a hospital there? And, you know, really putting me off it entirely. So I, I, don't, I don't know what, what will be. Let's just see if, 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 it's, um, if I do have the treatment on Friday. Because the, the other option is that if this is pushed out and I don't have the treatment Friday and then it's next week, or even if it is Friday, um, could the final treatment be delayed by another week in which case I could sneak the holiday in the middle well you've got to live your life as well I know you're a patient and you want to beat cancer but at the same time you've also got to live your life and that's really important isn't it yeah absolutely let's just talk about the family dynamic and this might be quite upsetting but you know you've got Harvey uh, Freddie and Max and we've talked about little Georgie who's um convinced that she's nothing like you because you're always sick and she's going to be strong and obviously she's at that age eight where she probably like forget within a couple of minutes of what you're talking about that you're ill because you're still there you're still around obviously losing your hair is a massive sign to say i'm sick but she's she makes you wear the wig whenever you go out doesn't she but but um harvey's 18 He's uh, about to go to university in America and decided not to do that because of your um, because of the cancer coming back. So he's now in what you could call almost an exciting year where he's he's taking a year off a gap year and he's doing some exciting things, which is really nice. But how's how's it been? How have they worked like with your cancer and dealt with it differently? Uh, yeah, can I? I'll just another slight. Um story about Georgie just before we get onto the boys she said when I was uh, in remission last time that um, someone had said to her that I had cancer so she said mummy someone said to me that you had cancer she said I told them it was it wasn't cancer and it was concussion <laughs> so um, I obviously did have concussion as well but I wasn't going to correct her that I had cancer too so you know in her mind um, she, she's decided what it, whatever it is that I've got and, and that's fine obviously telling them all was absolutely devastating um, and I think this time it was really about the timing of it because we had A-levels, GCSEs and common entrance so there wasn't going to be a good time and um, you know we took advice, uh, Macmillan had sort of said you know do it when you're ready, there is no right time, obviously it's going to be tough whenever you tell them. Uh, then when we went into the Jersey hospital they were like you know you've really just got to get on with it, you know you're not going to have your hair for long, you're going to have treatment in the next 10 days, you've just got to crack on. So we kind of took that approach and um, we had a small window when the two boys, two older boys were home and we sat them down. The fact when we say we want to sit them down, they obviously already know it's it's not going to be good news. So they kind of knew before we even started the conversation and we just all sat and cried, to be honest. So it was tough, tough. So Harvey's the eldest and he's decided not to go to America. And I think he lost somebody quite close to him in Jersey when he was younger. So 
being the oldest, doing his A-levels, it must have been really hard for him. But he's taken a gap year, but he's obviously dealt with it differently to the others. I mean, how do you think he's coping with it? I mean, obviously, all of us are coping in different ways. But but for him, you know, being the oldest at that age, taking the year out, delaying his life, I guess, you know, not going to university is must be quite tough on you all. Yeah, I mean, he's really struggled. Um, it's been really hard for him. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, he sadly lost his best friend when he was nine. Beautiful boy, Oscar McLean. Um, and he's just never got over that. He's just, you know, he's convinced that my story will end in a similar way. And no amount of talking to him can kind of convince him that I'm doing everything I can. And actually, you know, I've got a good chance of, of beating this. So, you know, he tried to get on with the summer. He tried to go and have fun with his friends, went traveling and just struggled really just with the whole thought of me being at home, having treatment. And he, he just needed to be at home, to be honest. So he did, he managed to get home eventually. And yeah, we took the decision together that really going off to America at this time when I'm still mid-treatment and we, we don't know the outcome uh, at this stage it would have probably made a lot more sense for him to to stay at home. So that's been a fantastic decision all round. Best for him, best for me, best for all of us. Um, thankfully, he passed his driving test and, you know, he's been pretty independent and is, is making the best of Jersey life. And um, yeah, I think he's just much happier. And he's got a job now. Yeah, he's got a job in London and hoping to start that. He hasn't got the contract yet, so I better not talk too much about that. But um, yeah, he's done that all, all off his own back. He's managed to get a, a job at a VC and um, he's over the moon about learning as much as he can in the next few months. And then he'll go off and ski, hopefully, and maybe do a bit more travelling, um, but uh, no, nowhere too far from home. So that's that, that Freddie, who's 16, who's doing very well, playing with Jack, uh, my middle son at the Saracens Academy very good player so he's you know hoping to sort of pursue the rugby career as well so for him yeah I mean what about him how's he sort of he's quite robust isn't he Freddie yeah Freddie would be uh probably a bit more like me you know not really he wouldn't really feel like he needs to talk about it he um you know we did offer him some counseling last time and you know he did go and I think he just felt it just wasn't beneficial for him it just didn't make him feel any better and was a bit of an inconvenience. You know, he'd rather be out kicking a ball. And and the fact is, he does have the rugby and, you know, that's his channel. You know, the team are amazing. Um, he has told them at Saracens, they're also been amazing support to him. So, you know, he's had his own way of coping. But I think last time he um, developed a condition, um, which I can't even say the word. Uh, Trachotyblomania. It's a condition where you pull you can pull some of your hair out. So yeah, he started doing that more and more and it got to the point where he had a, t a little bit of a ball patch and that can be permanent. Um, but um, thankfully the, the housemaster at school and um, himself agreed that shaving his head would be a good solution to stop him doing that. You know, and he was very proud. Everyone he met, who was quite shocked with the with the skinhead, sort of, um, you know, was greeted with Freddie saying, oh yeah, I just pull it out. So then we just thought we'd shave it. So he's very open about, about it. Um, and thankfully that doesn't seem to have um, reoccurred this time. Um, he seems to be channeling his energy into into being, being the success he, he is. What about little Max? You know, little Max is such a sweetheart. So kind-hearted and what about him who's just you know had to go to school boarding school secondary school all exciting for him but then you know how's he coped with yeah he's been amazing I mean the difficulty is we've been sort of three times now to sort of 
meet all the families and um you know he obviously hasn't told any of his friends about the situation and um, obviously the housemasters at the boarding school know the situation but um i'm turning up at these various events one with a hat on one with long hair they must be all quite confused because I, I haven't mentioned it to them yet but uh, you know when max first found out um it was actually pete that told max um we had we had a weekend planned for harvey's 18th so pete had a bit of time with him on his own and yeah, got told told Max. So when I saw him, he gave me the most amazing hug and he said, look, I know you'll beat this again. So it was that word that kind of breaks my heart. It was the again. Yeah. You know, I just give Max as many cuddles as I can and, you know, tell him we're here for him. And I've offered him counselling, uh, which he at the moment doesn't seem to want. But, you know, I also don't want it to come in a year's time or two years time where they say, oh gosh, I wish I'd spoken to somebody and haven't had that opportunity. So... Yeah, we're keeping a close eye on it that, you know, his his housemaster and Dame are amazing and we're just talking to them all the time. They phone every night, the boys do. And the good thing is Freddie and Max are together, so they've got each other. Um, so that, that, I think, is is a real bonus. So what about Pete, your husband? I mean, probably the hardest one to talk about, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, he and I spent the first month just crying, you know. Every opportunity we got, we'd be crying. But I think he's, you know, he's he's managed to keep the kids kind of giving them as much of a normal a normal summer as possible he took them on holiday without me which was obviously quite hard for him but was great for the kids and you know he's continued to book all the kids flights and be very present with the kids and yeah. that that is really the priority so you know there hasn't been much peak time in all of this and you know I know it's killing him inside but I do joke every now and again when he's on his phone at dinner and I, I'm like, you know, I want a no phone zone. And I'm like, are you on Tinder again? <laughs> but sadly, his one of his uh, work colleagues is, is going through the same thing. So it's pretty tough for him. He's, he's surrounded by it. Does he have highs and lows? Is he is he involved in the treatment? Is he- yeah. You know, he's you know, the show goes on, as we say. And, you know, he's in America now. Um, he's got to go and see his clients. He's got to keep busy. But, yeah, he's very involved with... Um, with all the meetings and comes with me to the oncologist and yeah, he's doing what he can, you know, there's only so much anyone can do really, isn't there? Yeah. Well, just like, just to round it off though on the family, it's probably worth saying, talking about parents. I mean, mum and dad have, uh, you know, it's interesting how they've coped with it. Cause obviously to, to have one of your kids suffering from cancer is just really tough for them. And mum's just the typical mum tries to look after you. But when it came back for the second time, Joe really struggled with it. Dad, he's just didn't want to talk about it. Didn't even contact you for, for weeks, did he? No, he just couldn't actually. We'd be together. We'd be at my sister's or at their house. And he just literally, there was no eye contact. It was like, he couldn't talk to me. But like my mum said, you know, he's, he's a bit of a healer himself. And he just couldn't come to the terms with the fact that he couldn't fix this. You know, he's, he, he's, he's the patriarch, you know, he's, He's a very strong character in our family and um, is used to fixing any problems that we've had. You know, he's been an amazing dad. Yeah, so I think he's he's struggled with it. And my mum, well, she's just incredible, isn't she? Just an absolute legend. Um, one of the nicest women you'll ever meet. Yeah. Just couldn't do enough for me or any of us, really. Just amazing with the kids, playing golf with the kids, any opportunity she can. Yeah. Very present in all of our lives, so. Well, and, and it's been tough for John and myself and Jane. I mean, Jane's just this driving force of trying to get you better with sending your scans to America and getting second opinions. I mean, they must hate us in, in the medical fraternity. They must see you going and think, what's going on? 
Um, but like we've all struggled with it, but we're always, we all phone Jane and just, you know, just ask her where we're at and, um, and she always gives us the lowdown and, uh, you know, we're, we're so pleased that you've got this amazing mindset to get better. I mean, I don't know how, you know, I think when I was growing up, you know, the biggest worry as a kid was that your, your mom and dad would get cancer, they'd die. And here we are with you. And I just can't imagine how it's like, you know, for you and, for us to watch it, our little little sister, it's it's painful, really painful. Yeah, but as we said earlier, you know, we as a family have had the most amazing upbringing, the most amazing luck um, as a family. We just, yeah. you know, you have to pinch yourself really about how lucky we've been. And I, I do think I'll get through this. Um, I will be that old lady in the sea um, for sure. And, you know, maybe this is all to teach us a lesson, you know, to pre- appreciate everything we've got. You know, maybe we've just taking things for granted. I, I don't know what the lesson is, but that's how I yeah. feel that, you know, we need to hug our kids more. We need, uh, you know, and when people, you don't know what to say because they can't help. You know, I think, I think that's the takeaway when someone you know is ill. You know, I'd say it's really lovely. Like, I am overwhelmed with love, you know, friends and family and it is overwhelmingly amazing. And that is a boost in itself. That, that makes you feel, yeah. that makes you want to get better even more. That makes you, that gives you that purpose. So I yeah. You know, with people with friends who are ill and they don't want to bother them, I think it's really nice to get texts. You know, I get messages from people I haven't seen for years. You know, when you think, oh, should I message them? Should I not? It just know, it just makes them know you're thinking of them. And I think it's a really positive, healing energy. Yeah, well, on a lighter note, um, and, and a lot of us rack our brains talk about, you know, how did Louise get cancer? Um, and we wonder, you know, what is it the surroundings? Is it an injury? Is it DNA? Is it just always going to happen? But then when we were chatting about it, uh, you were talking about, you lo- you looked at me and said, you know, you can catch cancer. And I was like, well, that's not possible. But but you've got a, a weird story whereby I think after your first round, um, I think one of the doctors said to you, said, I need to talk to you about your sex life. You were thinking, well, what's that got to do with cancer? And um, it turns out, and, and I didn't know, and you weren't even advised of this, so I don't know why you weren't advised of this, but is it true that if you're having chemo and you have sex, the person you have sex with could potentially catch cancer? I mean, is that real? I mean, is that true? I don't think I made it up. I think, honestly. So I obviously... Are you sure? I honestly don't think I made that up. So, yeah, so, so Pete and I are sat in the... Um, in the room prior to me starting the chemo treatment and she's reading through the side effects and we're almost finished and we're about to go. And she said, Oh, and by the way, um, yeah, sex. Um, just to say, don't have sex 72 hours after you have the chemo to which Pete was like, you know, I wish, no chance. Um, no chance. And, um, she said, yeah, you can, you can, you can potentially have long-term effects from being exposed to the chemotherapy, which is obviously coming out through me that he could potentially, um, yeah, develop cancer in future. To which she then explained to me that children who get chemotherapy at a young age can then develop secondary cancer 20, 30 years later because they've been exposed to chemotherapy, which is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But that's what she said, honestly. But how I went through chemo the last time and knew nothing about this, um, my sister Jane, obviously being you know a dentist, said, you know, I need to use my own toilet, which I did in the house and everyone used a different one. Um, but obviously they were specific this time by saying, look, none of your children can use the same toilet as you just because, you know, I'm excreting some of the chemotherapy that, I've, that has gone into my system that's coming out. Well, fortunately, there was absolutely no chance of getting any action. 
Um, but listen, it's been fascinating talking to you. Uh, one thing I have noticed, which you probably won't notice, but of all the podcasts, there's a bit of colour in your face. I don't know why. Um, I don't, you just got this colour in your face, which shows that you're alive and that, that means you're on, on the men. So oh. are you on any drugs, though? You're on the, uh... So here's, here's some of the supplements that I'm taking in a minute. They're all falling all over the place. That's half. That's about half of the supplements I'm taking. Oh my god! How many altogether? How many tablets? Oh, probably about forty. Oh my god! Yeah, it's a bit of a mission to take them, but um, yeah, back to that: how to starve cancer, and um, yeah, the recommendation is you take these supplements, which which are blockers to the um, cancer growth. So they've all got a purpose, and um, yeah, I don't mind taking them at all because yeah, hopefully it's all working. Great stuff. All right, till next time, Louise. Okay, thank you.